Welcome to the Creek Default Podcast, where we discuss the latest news, laws, and trends affecting your industry. Welcome back to the Creek Default Podcast. I'm your host, George Lepinotis. Thanks for joining us again today for a very special episode, not only on its topic and timeliness, but also with the two gentlemen who are joining me here at our studio today. Uh, I have with us our managing partner, Mike Masalia, and another one of my partners in the financial services practice group, Brett Ashton. Brett, Mike, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks. Guys, uh, I think that you've had uh, a, a lot of activity in the financial services area and the financial uh, institutions sector of our economy the past few weeks, and you've probably had your head under a rock if you don't realize that there's been a couple of bank failures. Let's start there. Uh, and I'm specifically thinking of uh, Signature uh, Bank and Silicon Valley Bank. What is a bank failure from a high level? What causes a bank to fail? And I know that's a broad question, but in this particular instance, what's the problem? Well, there's a couple issues that will lead to a bank failure. Uh, when we went through the financial crisis uh, and the Great Recession uh, in the 2008-2010 timeframe, we were dealing with a credit issue, that the credit, the loans that the banks had were underperforming, uh, led to write-downs of those loans, led to decreased capital, led to a bank failure. What we're experiencing today uh, is different in that it's a liquidity crisis, that uh, the banks do not have enough money, liquid money, to pay out depositors when that demand arises. And that has been caused by the increase in the interest rates has driven down the value of the bank's securities portfolios. So these are typically securities portfolio, portfolios of very uh, high-grade assets, U.S. Treasuries, uh, mortgage-backed securities, um, but what has happened is the value of those securities has gone down as interest rates have gone up. It's called interest rate risk. Interest rate risk is something that a bank has to monitor constantly to make sure that it's not getting too much exposure for shifts in, in interest rates. And so as we're in a historically high level of, of interest rates and that have climbed very quickly, it's decreased the value of those securities. And what has happened in some of these failures is as the banks went to increase their liquidity, they had to sell some of those securities. And when they sold those securities, they had to do it at a loss. And, and for example, SVB sold over $21 billion of securities, but they took nearly a $2 billion loss to do that. That created a capital issue for them and they weren't able to raise the, the capital. And then that compounded things and basically we had a classic run on the bank. Yeah, and that led the regulators to close the bank. That's what it sounds like. Now, was it a, when, when we say a run on the bank, Brett, that's a scary phrase that after 2009, we all kind of, uh, lived through those of us that are that are old enough or more or or remember that time, but 
was this actually a run on the bank or did SVB simply run out of money because of the normal course and demand of liquidity? Well, I think it was both, George. Um, so just, just some context. So Silicon Valley Bank more than doubled in size in a period of approximately 24 months. Um, and many of its depositors were large deposit, large depositors. They, they had deposits with the bank that were uninsured, that were over significantly over the $250,000 FDIC insurance limit. Um, and, and so when you say, did the bank fail because of a lack of liquidity, uh, or was it just a run on the bank? Yes, it was both. I mean, the, 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 the underpinning of, of banking is that the banks take the deposits, they go ahead and they invest those deposits in certain areas, and they don't have all of the deposits there in the bank that have been deposited. They're being invested in different areas around the economy. And ultimately, when the securities that Mike just referenced had to be sold at a loss, and the other deposits were being pulled out, the bank just did not have the liquidity to go ahead and to to give to those depositors back they deposited. So, for example, in the last 24 hours prior to this bank failing, quarter of the deposits in the bank were withdrawn on the Thursday before it failed. I think it was roughly $42 billion, I think, withdrawn in the last 24 hours before it failed. And news of news of the the liquidity issue at the bank spread very very quickly among a small group of investors that had high value deposits at the institution. So as I look to the two of you, and I know both of you are in our financial services practice group, that is now an extremely heavily heavily regulated industry. Correct, probably one of the most regulated industries in the nation. Were there regulations as to what these banks were supposed to be doing with those deposits, or was this just the normal course of business? I wouldn't say it's the normal course of business, but I would say that it's very difficult to uh, anticipate a historic increase in interest rates over such a short period of time. So banks are required to do stress testing by their regulators. So they stress test their balance sheet. What happens if interest rates go up? What happens if they go down? How much do they go up and in what period of time? Um, And so it goes back to, once again, interest rate risk and managing that. You know, the challenge for banks is we were in a historically low interest rate environment for such a long period of time. And so their interest, um, net interest margins were squeezed to very small levels. And so what they were doing is going out longer on their investments to get higher yield. So, you know, instead of doing a three-month treasury, they might do one year or two years or, or five or ten years to get increased yield. Locked in at low rates. Well, locked in at higher yields for that longer term, which then allowed them to uh, get a higher yield, increase their their net interest margin. But when rates shot up, they couldn't reprice that security. 
And so banks hold, can hold their securities um, on their balance sheet at the, the cost, but that's if they hold them to maturity. Right. And that was their intention to hold them to maturity, but when they needed the liquidity, they had to sell them, and at that point in time, there was a loss. Had they been able to hold until the maturity, there'd be no loss, but they weren't able to do that, and that's caused the problem here. So you mentioned a phrase, and again, our episode here today is, is, is all about phrases, but you mentioned a phrase that I think we've heard in the past, and that's stress test. Uh, is it simply put that banks, when interest rates were, so, for, for so long, interest rates were at such a low number, and given how quickly they've rised, were banks just not simply stress testing to that figure? Was that not part of the equation they were thinking about? And is this something that other banks could suffer from given the potential projection for rates to continue to rise? Well, they were stress testing. They're required to do that. And they're required to run a lot of different variations of that stress test. Sometimes, though, when they're running a stress test and it's at, you know, maybe the outer edge of what seems like, could this ever happen? It's then becomes maybe discounted. It's like, well... Do we really think that's going to happen? Well, it did happen. Yeah. Yeah. Brett, and when, when you know, I, I always pride, proudly say to people that I talk to about uh, our firm that we are one of uh, Indiana's oldest uh, banking firms and, and, and we serve financial institutions across the country. Uh, as you speak to your clients, and I know you have a lot of them across the banking and credit union industry, is this becoming a concern for uh, executives, C-suite executives, others involved in financial institutions, or do you feel that it is this was somewhat of an anomaly given, as Mike said, the abnormally large value deposits that, that SVB had? Yeah, George, I think it's an anomaly overall. Um, is the issue of interest rate risk something that every banker needs to and certainly is paying attention to? Absolutely. Um, but, but I would say this, the, the number of uninsured deposits at SVB and Signature Bank as well, uh, compared to your average community bank in the state of Indiana or Illinois or, or elsewhere, uh, is drastically different. Um, the, the extent to which those institutions are uh, analyzing their interest rate risk post the SVB and Signature Bank event is heightened at this stage. Um, and they're just, they're just different animals when it's all said and done. It doesn't mean that if you're a depositor, if you're a commercial depositor and you've got funds in excess of the $250,000 amount, you shouldn't be thinking to yourself, okay, you know, are there risk mitigation issues I should think about? I mean, I think that's just a smart business practice generally, but, but your community bank or your credit union can help you with that. There are programs that the banks and credit unions have access to where you deposit the funds in the bank, but then they can spread that risk around and maximize your insurance coverage under FDIC or NCUA insurance. Because it is not necessarily just 250000 per depositor. That insurance coverage is, uh, can be broader than that per individual deposit. 
Holder. Yeah, so it's, I mean, in this case, Mike could have an account, I could have an account. I mean, right. each individual, you know, if you've got a family trust, if you've got whatever else, there are a lot of different ways to maximize that FDIC insurance coverage. Well, and that's something that people need to, businesses need to be mindful of is how much uh, coverage do I have through FDIC insurance? Are there ways that I can uh, create additional accounts that would give me um, additional FDIC insurance? Um, also, does my bank uh, provide services that uh, places any excess amounts above the FDIC insurance given by my bank? placing that in other banks. Uh, there's uh, programs out there, uh, ICS and um, CDARs. ICS stands for Insured Cash Sweeps. Uh, CDAR stands for Certificate of Deposit Accounts Registry Service. These are uh, programs that you deal with your uh, institution, and they go out and they place through a, a network of banks, the excess amount. So, uh, in theory, all your uh, coverages that um, would otherwise be an uninsured at that bank that you typically bank with are now being swept out into other banks on a daily basis. So you do have coverage. Uh, the nice thing about those programs are they allow you to um, just deal with one bank as opposed to having to go out and um, set up accounts in multiple banks. And so, you know, it is something that as people are becoming more concerned about, do I have coverage on my accounts? It's a way in which they can um, get additional coverage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, going back to the reason and talking about interest rates, and, and I know that we don't have a crystal ball in that regard, but rates are continue to rise. They did at the last Fed meeting, they rose again. Um, and we understand that that's due to fighting inflation. But I've heard the phrase that interest rates, that, that the Fed will often make moves until something breaks. And is that is that what happened with Silicon Valley Bank? And do you think that was a signal to the Fed? Or do you think we would have seen other banks, if something had truly broken, we would have seen other banks follow suit? Well, I think in terms of the Fed action, they already spoke. They still ra raised right. rates. Yeah. So um, I think it tells you that they're focused on getting inflation under control. Um, and, you know, the economy is still um, very strong. And so there's still going to be this upward pressure on, on interest rates. And, um, you know... I don't think they're yet deterred by what's happened so far in the banking industry uh, from additional rate increases. Okay, Brett. Looking back to what happened though with with SVB, when when the, in this particular instance, if I recall correctly, the FDIC decided to insure beyond the two hundred and fifty. Isn't that right? Yeah, they did, George, for both SVB and Signature Bank. And I think that's the. I mean, that's that's another point for depositors and, and and just you know everybody to to take away from this is while the fed may push interest rates to a point they're not going to allow banks to systemically fail i mean not only did they stand behind the additional deposits of those two institutions because they deemed them systemically 
important in that particular moment in time. They also set up a funding, an additional funding window called the Bank Term Funding Program that gave access to liquidity to banks all across the country uh, that essentially protected uh, any other bank that could have a similar exposure there, and it gave them the ability to, to borrow funds and use the collateral, use the securities that caused such a problem for Silicon Valley Bank, to use them as collateral to then obtain liquidity under that program. So is it fair to say, had that program been in place earlier, SVB may not have gone that far? Uh, well, sure, yeah, because instead of then having to go ahead and liquidate those securities or then you know, liquidate the securities at a loss, as Mike explained, and then maybe go to the market and try to raise equity, they would have just gone to the Fed, and they could have raised those funds there. And so the Fed stood behind that program in very short order. So when the markets opened on Monday, there was an alternative funding mechanism there. Yeah. Well, just uh, further proof of the age-old adage that failure breeds solutions. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for the time today. I know that uh, there is a lot more that we could dig into about this topic, um, but it's fair to say that I, I walk away from it, generally speaking, feeling as if these were more isolated incidents and that the general financial services industry is not necessarily at fear of major risk. Well, where we're at today is, are we able to address the liquidity crisis? Mm-hmm. As Brett explained, there's been steps by the Fed to do that. Um, The real concern beyond the liquidity crisis is, does the increased interest rate environment and a slowing of our economy then create a credit risk? And credit risks can't be solved as easily as a liquidity risk. Credit risk is something that um, really only capital is going to solve. And so we are at a point where banks are in a better capital position than they were going into the Great Recession. But, you know, the first shoe that dropped was liquidity issue. The second shoe that may drop would be credit risk. And if that happens... Uh, it's going to impact more institutions. Well, you just burst my positive bubble, didn't you? <laughs> well, um, you know, eco- economics, as we all know, are, are, are uncertain as we proceed. But for the moment, um, at least we found some stable footing in the liquidity crisis. Uh, again, gentlemen, thank you for being with us. Uh, to our listeners, whether you're uh, in the financial services industry or simply concerned about your deposits, you can learn more about our practice and our financial services practice at our website, kriegdevault.com. Both Brett and uh, Mike are members of that practice group and always available uh, to assist their clients in that regard. Thanks for listening and hope to see you again soon.